This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Now your best shout ever. All right, I'll be reading Malachi 3, starting in verse 6. I am the Lord, and I do not change. That is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return when we have never gone away? Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. You have said terrible things about me, says the Lord. But you say, what do you mean? What have we said against you? You have said, what's the use of serving God? What have we gained by obeying his commands or by trying to show the Lord of heaven's armies that we are sorry for our sins? From now on, we will call the arrogant blessed. For those who do evil get rich, and those who dare God to punish them suffer no harm. God, a shout of praise. Amen. Amen. Come on. He's worthy. You may be seated. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Victoria Kate, for the Bible reading. It's an honor to have you. It's an honor to do life with you and start the year off with you. I'm talking about, uh, over the next probably several months, truce of a skeptic. And what I'm trying to do and attempting to do anyway is to take things in the Bible that I've learned as a Christian that make zero sense and make some sense out of them where they become practical to you. That growing up in church, growing up in a Christian home, there were things I heard uh, that I just assumed were true because I got it by osmosis. In other words, my parents believed it, hence I believe it, or the church I grew up in believed it, and so therefore I believed it just by that. Um, hanging out with the people who believe it, you believe it, and then you become an adult and say, I can't believe I believe this. It doesn't even make sense to me. And so what I'm attempting to do is take those things that I've had to wrestle with in my walk with God that have been in the Bible and go, I literally have no clue why this is this way. I want to understand it and see if it's true. And so I want to pick the topic today. Uh, here's the thought for the day. Why would God, in his eternal thought process, desire me to give him 10% of my money? So if you're new today, I'm a preacher that's going to talk about money. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Right, that's all we do. We talk about money. Um, I grew up in a church, and when you say the 10%, if you're a Christian, you've probably heard it this way, the tithe. This word called the tithe. Now, growing up in church, this was part of my parents' life. My dad began tithing even before I was born. That means my dad would take 10% of all his money and give it to God through the church. So I grew up that way, that that was normal, and he taught me as a young man, you need to give 10% to God. You get $5, you need to give God 50 cents. You get 10, you need to give God a dollar. If you get money from mowing grass, you need to give God what's due God. And because I grew up in his home, I just obeyed him. Now, it wasn't until I became an adult and the money became my money and I wasn't living in his home that I kind of thought, maybe the old man's a little, ugh, 10%? I never called him old man. I just felt that right there. I have a lot of respect. <laughs> I felt like he suddenly wasn't going to buy my lunch today. So I'm like, 
I was having a, a Christmas story flashback, the old man. He has no name in a Christmas story. He's just the old man. But my dad, uh, you know, there was the thought of, is this really real? Because now that I'm an adult and now that I have bills to pay, car payments, house payments, wife payments, child payments, college payments, all the payments that come upon payments and payments, and then the government wants 28%, waitresses want 20%, uh, God wants 10%, children want 80%, wife wants whatever's left over, you're broke, you know, you have nothing. So I'm wrestling with, this can't be true. Like, why, why would God want 10% of my money? Because you tell me he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, so why does he need my money? And it, you tell me, the things you tell me are weird. You tell me he lives in heaven and the streets are gold. If his streets are gold, he doesn't need my money. My streets are dirt road in a single wide trailer. He doesn't need my money. And what is God going to do with my money anyway? And then the likelihood becomes God doesn't even get my money. The preacher gets my money and then he abuses the money. Because we all have been around long enough in Christianity to know we abuse money. Whatever God does, we'll mess it up. We're, we're gifted at destroying anything God does. We can ruin it for sure. So growing up in church, I've seen the abuse of the tithe. I have been in churches where if you don't tithe, you cannot be in leadership. And they check to see if you're tithing. If you're not tithing, you can't lead. You, you, that is a sign that you're mature. You give God 10% of your money, we trust you. I've seen the tithe used to get people into special groups in the church. Because those whose 10% is more get in the upper echelon of leadership to help guide the ship. Doesn't matter if they're really spiritual, they just give the most money. And so they govern the church through their money. I've seen evangelists abuse it. I was in a, a, an a meeting one time and the lady declared herself to be a prophet. And at the end of her message, she said, here's what I'm going to do. And she was all excited and everybody's cheering and I'm kind of in the back because I am... I'm just, going to, I'm just going to confess my sins. I am a skeptic at heart. Like, I, I just, I see stuff and my first thought is skepticism. And then I like to go to the Bible and go, okay, let me see. So she's like, ah, oh, the Lord, and everybody's shouting. I'm like, that's a good preacher. Then she said this. She said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come up here. I got my little basket. And she had this little cup. This, it was a silver cup. Here's what she said. For everybody that gives her $100, she's going to give them a prophecy from God. So I'm thinking, well, hey, I hope you got money. You're not going to hear from God because I ain't got $100. And then I'm thinking, well, how do I even know? I'm telling you, you would have thought nobody would have gone up. They went up like a flock of geese. Here's my 100 Tell me what God's telling me. Here's my 100 Tell me what God's telling me. And I'm on the back going, oh, gosh, you're kidding me. You're literally going to give this woman $100 thinking she's going to give you some kind of prophecy from heaven and you can buy that. Now I'm just mad, so I leave. I don't even know if it's true or not, but it's like, come on. I feel like I'm getting scammed here. And then the offerings of every single time there's a church service, we spend 20, 30 minutes talking about money, how you should give, and everybody should be a giver, and we got to have a mini short sermon every Sunday to get money out of people because it's what keeps the doors open. And, and then the weird stuff that's out there, if you'll send me $100, I'll send you my free book. If you'll send me $100, I'll give you this vial of water from the holy mountain of Jerusalem, and God will do this. And then if you'll send me a $1,000 free gift, I'll send you my signed Bible. And I'm like, that's not really free. Like, I'm, I'm getting a free book for $100. Oh, help a brother. I just don't get it. I don't understand what you're doing to me. And then the evangelists, the, the evangelists that prey on poor people to give offerings and they drive around in Mercedes Benz and Maseratis and fly in multi-million dollar jets while I can't even pay my phone bill. But if I'll give them an offering and I'll give them my money, God's going to bless me and I'm going to get some kind of weird blessing back while you fly around in a jet and I can't even put gas in my car. And I'm supposed to believe this? You want me to believe that you want me to give you 10% of my money. So this has been being manipulated for centuries. 
uh, whether it's through religion and uh, billions of dollars of gold, wall, you know, gold ornaments and cathedrals that we build, or whether it's just something here in this local church where you abuse it and you know you go out and waste all the money. You put people on a guilt trip. You better give your money. I was in a church that at the end of every year, they looked at all of the givers. And if you didn't tithe, they went around and knocked on your door and asked you to give the tithe. How many of you know most of you wouldn't be home? Right? Oh, my God, the, the deacons, they called them the deacons. The deacons are coming to get the tithe, and they would knock on the door. We're just here because we notice that you haven't been tithing. We've come to collect the tithe. I mean, that's kind of like Nazi Germany, right? These are Christian people. I'm like, what in God's name's going on? They're knocking on my door to get God's money? And then all of the weird stuff that's connected to it. And if I'll give, God will do something weird. And if I'll do in God, and, and it's just so convoluted. You don't even want to talk about it. Then you get lumped in. If you do as a preacher talk about it, all we want is money anyway. Because that's all we're about anyway is money, 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 money. I'm not saying I don't like money. I'd be a dummy if I told you I didn't like money. But I'm not in this game for money. I'm not, I'm not doing this for money. So, for example, I don't even do anything with the money here. Uh, my dad and Michael, who led worship, they both are accountants, CPAs, and they handle the money, and I just get to love people. And they set a salary, and I get a salary, just like you would get a salary. I think my salary is like 65000 that's what I bring home. And so it's not like I'm out here, you know. I mean, I, I don't make quite enough that I'm not tempted to go play the lotto because I wouldn't mind having $422 million. It'd be kind of nice. But it's of the devil. It's the devil's money. Well, good. As soon as I get it, I'll pray over to be God's money. I don't really care. As soon as it's in my hands, man, it's God's money. So I mean, I'm not going to fake you like I don't care about money, but I'm not in it for that. I... As a matter of fact, I don't, I don't even count it. Other people count it. They all put it in. I don't look to see if you give. I don't check to see who's tithing. Is Caleb tithing or Shiloh not tithing? I don't even look. I just That's between you and God. I'll just love you regardless. You don't get in leadership here if you tithe. What I'm looking for is you love Jesus and live it. I'm good with that. Um, but I still can't get away from there is something about this that's weird and it's in the Bible. And as much as I don't like it and as much as I wish it weren't there and as much as we've abused it, I still can't get away from it. I just have to own up to it. If it's a truth in the Bible, I can either be skeptical and just go, yeah, I'm not going to do it. Or what I'm trying to teach you is how I've taken the skepticism of this and pushed myself to, if it's true, I want to know. And if it's not, I'm, I don't, I'm tired of abusing it. Now, I'm not saying that if you drop a $500,000 check today, I'm not going to be happy. I'm, about, I'm happy. But I'm not going to go out and buy myself a Maserati. I might buy a new Kia. <laughs> I was being honest with you. If Michael calls and somebody gave us a half million dollars, daddy probably going to get a new Kia. Right? I mean, I'm just honest. But, but, but I, do, I do want to share with you how I've learned to try to address this question because if you are a Christian, it pops up this word called the tithe. Whether we've abused it or not or whether we've ever heard it or not, there is a teaching in the Bible that says... God gets 10% of your money. Now, what I do with that as a shepherd or other preachers, that's between them and God. But I'm going to try to share it in a way that I, I want to be smart enough to know we've abused it, smart enough to know that it's really weird and it doesn't make sense. Now, in my family, I have tried to push my girls to serve God, not in a hard way. It goes like this in my family. Um... Girls, I want you to serve Jesus, but I don't demand you to serve Jesus. I want you to serve Jesus because you see the reality in mom and myself, and it makes you jealous to want to serve the Lord. My girls know, even if they don't serve God, daddy's going to love them. I love them whether they choose Jesus or whether they go Buddhism. I'm going to love my kids regardless. I, I hope they choose Jesus because to me he's real. And I push them to see the reality in the way Robin and I live. Now, when it comes to skeptical truths, I try to be fair to my girls to not overtly 
press them to believe a skeptical truth. I try to live it out so it becomes real to them. And then they see that reality and then they hopefully buy in. Uh, My daughter, because I teach my girls to be a giver, my daughter Sophia, and what I teach them is every time the doors open to the house of God, you should give. That's what I teach them. I don't care how much, just be a giver, don't be stingy. It's not good to be stingy. So my daughter Sophia, who's my second oldest, um, she came to church one day and had no money. So she ran back out to her car and thought, I need to give something to God. And so she dug around in her carpet and found a penny. She brought the penny in and said this to God. This is all I have, but my dad tells me I should be a giver. I'm going to give it. And so she gave it and then gave the penny and that day got $200 back. Not from me, not from the church. Just a random person gave her $200. How many of you know that if you give a penny and you get back $200, you suddenly start thinking maybe giving is real. It's either magic, it's luck, or it's real. And if you're the one that got $200, you don't care which word you pick. It can be magic, I got it. It can be luck, I got it. It can be real God, I got it. Either way, you got it. So if she learned a lesson, it pays to be a giver. My other daughter, Victoria Kate, is kind of skeptical about the tithe. Why? Because she's still in college and needs every dollar. She doesn't want to give God 10. He's big enough to handle himself, and I still need coffee to get over this exam. But she's a giver. She'll, she'll buy people coffee. She'll give five. She'll give 10. But she's never really been a tither because she just doesn't understand. I understand it, but I don't know if I really get it. So we don't fight over it. I just often ask her, Do you, have you gotten it yet? Well, about two weeks ago, she's like, okay, this is her story. She said, okay, she was the one singing and reading the Bible. She, two weeks ago in church, she said, okay, my daddy says I should be a giver and tithe. So God, I'm going to give you this $100. And so she put the $100 in and gave it to God. And before the church service was over, a woman in the church walked up and said, don't know why I'm doing this, but God told me I had to give you $100. And she got the $100 right back. Now, either magic, luck, or God. But she came home, her exact words, OMG, in the text message. You'll never guess what God did. And I'm like, I could probably guess what God did. (laughs) Daddy, Daddy, I gave a hundred and I got a hundred back. Can you believe that? I mean, she just walked up and said, God told me I was supposed to give it. Dad, nobody has ever done that. Nobody has ever walked up to me in church and said, God just told me that I was supposed to give this to you. I gave a hundred, I got back a hundred. So guess what she did the next week? She gave three dollars. She said, well, that's all I got. I've got $3 left over. I might as well give it. She gave $3. She got $25 back. And now my children are understanding that this weird thing of money and God is weird. I know, again, we've abused it. I know we've used it. But I want to land on the skepticism of why would God in his eternal thought desire Mark Evans or my children or you to give God 10% of my money? When the government gets 20 plus, the... The waitress gets 18 to 20. Why does God want 10? So let's read through it. I'll give it to you as I worked it out. Because I was trying to work out it's not real. Because I could really use it. I could use the 10. So I kind of went into it trying to disprove it. So I don't want you to think I went into this trying to prove it. I went in trying to disprove it. Because I could really use the extra 10. And I don't think God, my personal opinion as a human, I just don't think God needs it. But I can't deny it, so let me study it, and that's what I want to share with you, what I've learned. So here's what Victoria Kate read, Malachi 3. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. So here's what we know about the tithe, because God's going to talk about it. It is a decree that you can either link yourself to or reject it. It's up to you. He says, return to me and I'll return to you. So even God is thinking about the tithe and the offering that it in some weird way shows a connection between you and between him. It is a weird way. It is a bond in God's mind, not the preacher's mind, but in God's mind, it is a bond. It's me and you coming back together. And then you'll say, well, how will we turn? Will a mere mortal rob God? That's God's asking that. 
Will a mere mortal rob God? But you've robbed me. So now we're not talking about the preacher that says, if you'll give me a hundred, I'll give you my free book. Or if you'll give me a hundred, I'll give you a prophecy. Or if you give me your money, I can buy me a new mansion. Now we're, we're really realizing that the tithe is something connected to God and not the preacher. Although the preacher seemingly in a weird way is like the mafia middleman here. Because we give, but he runs the church, but I'm giving to God, but he's the dude or woman in the middle. But God says, if you're not careful, you rob me. Now here's what I know. In a strange way, God is keeping, uh, this is going to sound weird, but I've worked it out to be true. God is keeping a record of who gives. Because he says, you'll rob me. So how would he know if I robbed him? And he says, well, here's how I know. I, I know it through your tithe and your offering. That tells me that God in his infinite, etern infinite eternal mind is keeping a record of my giving. Right. Not the deacon in the church that's determining whether or not I can lead, but God who created the universe is marking down whether or not Mark Evans is tithing. Now, here's what's really strange. I'm going to try to help you because I'm going to go to the other side to debunk tithing for a minute. People will say tithing is a Jewish system. It's true. It is. There is no mention in the New Testament except Hebrews 7 that tithing 10% even makes sense in a Gentile's mind. A Jew versus a Gentile. The Jews were the children of God. The Gentiles are everybody else. So when the church comes along in book of Acts, you rarely see tithing mentioned. There's some, uh, there's some references to giving. There's some references to what kind of heart you should have when you give. Jesus, two places in the gospel, mentions the word tithing in relation to Pharisees. And then the book of Hebrews 7 talks about tithing. But it's rarely talked about in the New Testament. So it does lend itself that it has more to do with Jews understanding tithing than me. I would just rather just give God whatever... But as I've worked it out, it's really weird because it still applies to me today. Next verse. You're under a curse. Now, I've heard a lot of preachers abuse this. If you don't tithe, you're cursed. And then what I always fought back with, how could I be cursed if Jesus broke the curse? I can't be cursed if Jesus broke the curse, so don't use being cursed to make me be fearful of tithing. And there's many teachers that if you don't tithe, you're cursed, and demons and hell will come against you, and God's mad at you. So God says you're under a curse. I'll explain that later. Because you're robbing me. Again, God picks it out. that I, You owe me something. You're not giving it to me. Bring the whole tithe to the storehouse and there'll be food in my house. And then God takes a step further and says, Oh, by the way, why don't you test me to see if I will not throw open the floodgates and bless you. Now God turns it upon himself and says this thing about the tithe is not about you and Mark Evans' salary. It's not about the church and whether or not I can build a new building. This 10% that I want from you is directly between Greg and myself, Gary and myself, Larry and myself, Shalom. It's, it's for us. Mark, it's a relationship between me and you. And so God pulls it in and says, here's what I want you to do, Mark. Just test me. Just see. I mean, I'm going to put myself on the chopping block here and ask it if you'll trust me with this. Well, then we'll see. What will we see, God, is my thought when I read this. Because I immediately went to, this is Old Testament. This is for the Jewish people. It has nothing to do with me. I'm just going to be a giver. I'll give God a five, maybe a 20 sometimes. If I have a leftover, I may give him 50. I may even go all out and give him 100 sometimes. But this 10% tithe, this under a curse tithe, God keeping a record of the tithe, I don't really get it. Here's the thought. <clears throat> the thought becomes this. The tithe, this is what I've studied, the tithe was God's way of helping humans discover the wealth that resides within his own nature. There's something about the 10% of, we would say, our money because we work on a money system. The 10% of my money given into a basket that's supposedly God's that could potentially be abused by a preacher is going to open my life up to the wealth that resides in God's own nature. Here's the second thought. 
The tithe opens my mind and heart to the vastness of God's abundant nature toward me. I'm going to teach you this in a minute. The tithe, Mark Evans, God hears 10%. I really need it. I'm going to give it to you because it's yours. There it is. God says if I'll do that and test him, it will open my mind and heart to the vastness of his abundant nature. Just like when Victoria Kate gave three and got back 25, she gave a penny and got back 200, I could give you a litany of years of doing that myself. But I do know there's something about giving that links up to the vastness of God's wealth. And I'm not talking about money wealth. I'm talking about peace and joy and contentment and health. And it opens up a whole avenue of who he is. So here's the question that I landed on in myself as I'm working it out. How does my money, and I, I use the word my because it's very personal when I've earned it, worked for it, 60 hours, it's mine. How does my money and how I handle it with God open my mind and heart to his abundant nature? Now, here's the question. I would much rather say that there's other options to know how much you love God other than money. How much you read your Bible, how much you witness, how much you come to church, how loud you just sang with Michael shows your heart. Jesus will say this about your heart. Luke, I mean, Matthew 6, this is Jesus. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moss and eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moth and rust can't destroy, thieves don't break in and steal. And then Jesus, this is his words, wherever your treasure is, the desires of your heart follow it. They'll be there too. Now here's a strange thought. Jesus himself says, if you want to know where a person's heart is, follow the money. Show me the money. I can show you a person's heart by following their checkbook, their Venmo, their cash app, their balance account. Jesus himself said, you want to know the power of money to define somebody's heart, or to define somebody's heart, watch their money. We think that money follows the heart. The Bible says the heart follows the money. We will, we will kill ourselves for money. We will work 60, 70 hours a week for money. We will deny our families for money. If you want to know how supernatural money is, here's how supernatural money is. The child of God, Jesus, was traded out for money. Money is connected to the supernatural of God. It was money that traded Jesus out. Never think that money is not connected to the heavenly kingdom of God. The very death of Jesus connected to money. It's weird, I know. I wish I could just leave money alone. But when Jesus connects my money up to my heart, I've got a problem now. Because now I go back to Malachi and go, well, it must be true because God said I've departed from him. How did I depart? I quit giving him offerings. But I don't feel like I've departed because I still go to the temple. I'm still very religious. I still collect manna. I still follow the law. I still keep the Ten Commandments. And God goes, good. I'm glad you're really religious on yourself. Your heart lost me. And your heart's not with me because I don't have your tithe and offering. That's Malachi. And now Jesus kind of lends the same thing. Just show me your money. I'll show you your heart. Which is strange. And I had to work through this. So here's the question. In working through, does God really want my 10%? I've landed on yes, and I'm going to teach you how I landed on it. Because I decided to backtrack, and, it, and if it's about God and me, and not a preacher and my money, I want to know something about God's nature through tithing. So I went all the way back to the book of Genesis to study God's nature and could I understand from his nature why he would want 10% of my money? So let's do that. Let's go to the first thought. The first thought is this. If you want to understand tithing, you must understand, this is my opinion, you must understand this thought. And here's the thought. God owns the tree. So before we ever talk about money, we've got to talk about God owns the tree. Now here's the story Genesis chapter 2.
God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he made. The Lord God did what? Made all sorts of trees. Lots of them. Trees that were beautiful, trees that produced fruit, and in the middle of the garden, he placed a tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. What we have from this verse is God is an infinite tree maker. He made all of them. And in his beauty of being God, he says this. He says, I produced all these trees, and man, are they delicious. Next verse. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it, but the Lord warned him, you may freely eat of what? Every tree in the garden. However... Except the tree of knowledge and good and evil. If you eat that fruit, you die. Now in this moment, God establishes the wealth of his nature. Here's his nature to you, Cameron. I'm going to give you 99 out of 100 trees, Cameron. You have them all. You eat them all. You enjoy them all. They're delicious. The 100th tree is mine. Don't touch it. It belongs to me. I don't care what you think. I don't care how smart you think you are. It's my tree. Leave my tree alone. It is holy. Are we clear? That's all God asked. He gave me 99 and said, don't touch mine. Now, the weirdness of religion is we have made the tree of knowledge of good and evil the devil's tree. Oh, that's the bad tree. That's the tree the serpent showed up in. It's the tree that Eve ate. It's bad. The tree of knowledge of good and evil is holy. It was not the devil's tree. It was a tree created by God that he pulled into his holiness and separated it. It's the first time the concept of holiness is even understood because God makes all the trees and then separates the one unto himself. It's, it's the New Testament word called sanctification, holiness. This tree is set apart to me. Don't you eat it or you die. Are we clear? Yes. So out of 99, God just wants one. You would think we would go, wow, he gave me 99 of them. He only wants one. He only wants 10% of the trees. Look at all the trees I could have. No, not humans. I don't want my 99. I want his tree. And by God, why would he want his tree? I'm the one on this God-forsaken earth, and if anybody needs a 10th tree, it's me. How would I know that all this fruit could supply when there's more fruit here? I want that fruit. And God says, well, that's mine. You can't touch it. Oh, yes, I can touch it because I know what's best for me. So God, in the very beginning, establishes a principle of his kingdom. There's that which is yours and there's that which is mine. And because I love you so much, I'm going to give you tons more than me to enjoy it, your luxury, don't touch mine. Because we're so smart, thank you. Next verse. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful, the one she's not supposed to touch. Its fruit looked delicious, the one she's not supposed to touch. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her, the one she's not supposed to touch. So she took some of it, she ate it, and then gave some to her husband and ate it. And this establishes the principle between the heart of man and the, and the eternal wisdom of God. Because the heart of man says, I'm not going to let God have what's his. I'm going to take what is God's. I'm going to eat it myself. And then I'm going to give it to everybody else because we are going to live off of what belongs to God. And so Adam and Eve tried to live off of what belonged to God, and what happened? They became cursed. This is why Malachi says, if you don't give me what belongs to me, Caleb, you're under a curse. God is going all the way back to the first book of the Bible, 
to remind us that the reason you're cursed is not because I'm ticked at you. It's that you took what was mine and you're not supposed to take what is mine, Malachi. And I'm going to point you all. This is the last book of the Old Testament. I'm going to shoot you back to the first book. You touch what's mine in Malachi, you're cursed. You touch what's mine in Genesis, you're cursed. Leave mine alone, you humans. And we humans are like, well, I don't want to leave God's alone. I want it all for myself. I want to spend it on myself. And if I give God 10%, I can't get a four-wheeler. I can't get a gun. I can't get get my coffee. (laughs) Right? I mean, that's just humans. We... God, now here, we're not even talking about money yet. We're talking about God in the beginning establishing his nature. His nature is, you have yours, I have mine, mine is holy, don't touch it. That's how he starts off. So that's the thinking that we don't like that. We want it all for us and then kind of cop God a seed or two here. And God says, no, 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 no. I want the whole tree or nothing. Brings us to the next thought about tithing as I tried to work it out of what God is trying to teach. God owns the rib. So long before we talk about money, now I have to answer this weird question that God owns the rib. Because the story goes like this. Let's read it. And the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper just right for him. Now here's what God begins to teach me about himself. He's never trying to hurt me. He's always trying to help me. That anytime God says to me, that's my stuff, leave it alone. He's not trying to demean me. He's trying to help me and do what's right for me. So now he comes to the man. We've dealt with the tree. He owned one of them. We said no. We took it over. Now he comes to the man. And this is what he says to the man. I'm trying to help you. Here's how I'm going to help you. Next verse. So the Lord God caused the man to fall in a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed it up. And then he made a woman from the rib and brought her to the man. Here's the deal. Why doesn't God, in his godness, Do the same for Eve that he did for Adam. Here's how he made Adam. Took the dirt. Made the dirt into a nice shape of a human. Breathed into the dirt. The dirt became alive. And then the dirt Adam gets to pick from all the animals. And Adam says, I can't find anything. I mean, the the orangutan sort of look like me, but I just don't gel with the orangutan. The giraffe's neck's too long. The elephant's feet are too big. I don't like big-eared people. Uh, just the monkey was too hairy. The chimp, I could not handle it all. The hyena, just to laugh alone. So God says, well, here I've got an idea. Okay, God, what's your idea? All right, I don't know if you're going to like it off the shot, but here's my idea. I'm going to give you a helper. Okay, great, Like, like a horse, a donkey, a mule. No, no, you've already named all those. You've already figured out none of those really fit. Here's what I'm going to do. I really need you to give me a rib. What? Like, my ribs? Like, I mean, you gave me my ribs. Yeah, I know I gave you the ribs. I mean, I made you. I own all of them. I'm just asking for one back. I just want one of them. I don't want all of them. I'm letting you keep most of the 23. I just want one. If you'll give me one, I'm going to blow your mind. If you will give me one, I'm going to do something so supernatural, your mind will be blown. You can't even think what I'm thinking because if I tell you what I'm thinking, you won't even know because all you're thinking is animals. You're thinking marry a monkey. I'm thinking totally different than you, but to get you to the mind level of thinking, I need to know, can I have the rib? And Adam, I'm sure, could have said, now God, you made me out of dirt. Why don't you make her out of dirt? Let me keep my rib. It's special to me. It guards my heart. It guards my special organs, the internalized me. Why can't you just do with her, make a lunk of dirt, let me help you and shape her to make her look like how I think she ought to look and give her the right hips and the right breasts. Let me do what I think she should be beautiful and then do what you did with her, make her out of dirt like you made me. And God said, you don't understand what I'm thinking because the way you're thinking is not my thinking. I'm thinking the way I get you to where I want is I need back something I gave you. And if you will give me the thing that I'm asking for, I will literally take you to a level 
that of intimacy and contentment and joy that when you're done, it will fill the earth. You'll be able to multiply. God, I don't even know what you're talking about. I know. Just give me your rib. So he puts him to sleep. And while the man's asleep, God took how many of his ribs? Yeah, God, here's what you need to know about God. He's not asking for all of it, but he is asking for the one thing he owns. So God's never trying to rip you off. He's trying to get you to understand his nature. I'll, I think 23. I, I can't remember science. I'll give you 23 ribs. I want one back. I'll give you all the trees. This one's mine. I'll give you all the ribs. This one's mine. Now, if you'll give me that this is mine, life will come. No curse will come. I will blow your mind with, with supernatural multiplication that will take you to a whole nother level of what you could accomplish. And look what happened. He brought the woman to the man and he says, At last! The man exclaimed, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh and she'll be called woman because she was what? Taken. Taken. It almost sounds rude. Like God took something from me. But what God took from you, he already owned. And what he took from you in your thinking was to get you to another level. So you called it, he took something from me, but it gave me more than I could ever fathom. And if you don't give him the rib, he can't make the woman. And if you don't let go of what's already his, you're going to end up trying to live with a monkey. And if Adam would have said, God, I'm keeping my rib I just want to let you know how much I love you and I appreciate you, but I'm, you gave them to me, so I'm just going to keep them and live down here. He would have ended up having to shack up with a monkey. You wouldn't have even been here. You wouldn't even be on the planet today if Adam didn't say, here is what is already yours. You can have it back. You can have my rib back. And that's the way most Christians are today. Most Christians are, I love Jesus, I go to church, I read my Bible, but you don't give God what is His. And His is the tithe. I'm going to tell you how in a minute. His is the tithe. Let's just leave the tithe off. That's kind of religious right now. God says this about His nature. There's that which is yours, there's that which is mine, and the way I truly know you love me is you give me what is mine. The tree is mine, and I'll tell you if you love me if you leave my tree alone. They don't. You say you're mine. If you're mine, I want the rib. Give it to me. Thank you. Here's back. Look what I gave you back. I, I duplicated you but made her better than you. Look. You can thank me later. Right? You can thank me later because he wasn't thinking a woman and yet God was. Why? Because in God's nature is if you'll just give me what I need and what I ask for, I will blow your mind. Yeah, yeah. Now here's, here's where tithing comes in. This is where we shift. The nature of God always stays the same. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So God will always function in there's that which is y'all's, humans. There's this which is mine. I get the tree, you get the trees. I get the rib, you get the woman. Now, here's the problem. Once Adam said, no, I want my tree, God put the tree away and closed it off. So now God can never use the tree to teach that to people anymore. It's done with. Put an angel, it's now gone. God cannot use the rib as a way to show what's his and what happens when you trust him with what's his? Because once he made the woman, women come now through mating. Your husband and wife get together, the sperm hits the egg, boom, out pops a human. How brilliant is that? So that God never again has to say to you, Shiloh, hey, if you want to get married, I need a rib. Because most men today wouldn't be married. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, no, no. Unless she's really pretty. It's like, well, maybe. How, how about if I give you a finger? I want to keep my rib. Now, here's the reality of the rib. The rib was the thing that protected the internal organs, especially the heart. And so God is teaching me that when I give to him what is already his willingly, that is protecting my heart, it shows my heart. 
This is why the tithe says, I know your heart by looking at your money. This is why Jesus said, I can know your heart by looking at your money. Why? Because I, can, I took what is mine from your heart so that you always know what is mine reflects your heart. All right, now, here's the problem. I can't use the tree as an object lesson. It's done. I can't use man and woman anymore because they're already created. How does God teach Jimmy? How does God teach him that what's yours is yours and what's mine is mine? Leave it alone. It's holy. That would apply to everybody in the room, male or female. What would apply would be this. I tell you how we'll do it. I'm going to put you in a system of bartering and economy to where if you work hard, you get stuff. But here's what I'm going to ask. Of all the stuff you work hard to get, whether it be money, cattle, produce, whatever it may be, everybody's going to live in a culture that barters and trades based on economics. Everybody. It may be chickens in one culture. It's money in another culture. Whatever it is, you barter and trade. So here's what I'm going to do. So since that's going to be common to every culture of humanity and you understand the giving and the take, if I work 20 hours, I get this much money back. If I work 60 hours, I get this much an hour. We all understand how that goes. If they pay me in cows, great. If they pay me in cash, great. It's still a barter system. Everybody understands it. Every culture, even if you're in the mafia, you understand. You want to crack cocaine? Give me the money. It's how it works. So God took that system of give and take and said, Well, since I can't use a tree and I can't use a rib, I will use the barter system to still express my nature. And I will call it the tithe. So that whatever in your life increases you, ten of it is mine. And I consider it holy and it belongs to me. And if you'll give it to me, I will blow your mind. So now God has got it to where it pertains to all of us because in America it's connected to your money. We, we live in a money system here. So the tithe is connected primarily to your money. You get $100, God wants 10 of it. Oh, that doesn't seem fair. I know, same way Eve felt. That doesn't seem fair. Same way Adam felt about his rib. It never seems fair. But if you'll give God the tree, you'll give God the rib, you'll give God the tithe, He will blow your mind. He will do things for you you cannot even fathom. He will show you the abundance of His nature. He will pour out blessings upon you so big your mind cannot even handle it. So he had to establish, before I asked for the tithe, I had to establish that I'm a God that always has what's mine. And you humans, if you're not careful, you will blow it and take it for yourself. And if you take it for yourself, you're cursed because you stopped me from being able to lavish upon you. And if you don't give me the rib, I can't give you the woman. And if you don't give me the tithe, I can't blow your mind with my nature. Because what I'm really trying to see is how much of your heart is really mine. And the way I determine that is, will you give me the 10% or not? Or are you just going to sit down there and sing Hillsong music and read your Bible and tell me how wonderful I am? I don't want to look at all 99 trees and go, isn't he wonderful? Isn't he wonderful? Isn't he wonderful? Oh, he's so wonderful. I want you to look at the one tree and ask me, did you give me that tree? Because it's not the 99 you love that show me your love. It's the one you don't want to let go of that shows me how much you love me. It's not the other 22 ribs you keep that show me your loyalty. It's the one you give me that shows me your loyalty. It's not whether or not you come to Believer's Church every week that determines whether or not you love God. It's whether or not God has your tithe. I know. I don't even like that. But God set the system up where the 10% reveals the heart of a willingness to say, it doesn't belong to me, take it. And you can have it, and it's yours, and it's holy, and you own it, and I freely give it to you. And how dare me go with all the other 99 trees and go eat the one that's not mine. And you would think that doesn't matter to God. Here's the scripture. And Abraham gave Melchizedek a tenth. So now Abraham is showing us what belongs to God because now he moves it into the spoils of war, money, and stuff. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me back my people who were captured, but you can keep for yourself all the goods you've recovered. Abram replied to the king, I solemnly swear to God of the most high creator of heaven and earth, I will not take 
so much as a single thread or sandal thong. And then this last phrase, from what? What belongs to you? This principle of tithing established from the very beginning of the tree to the rib to the tithe, something about God's kingdom that doesn't feel fair to humans, there is still that which is His. And I don't like that. I like it all to be mine and occasionally give Him $5. I like it all to be mine and ask Him to bless me and give me more money for my gas. I like all the money to be mine. I like all my trees plus his tree. I like all my ribs without his wife. I want to live my life chasing the world system, marry myself to the world because I've never given... I never gave my rib to God, so now I have to chase the world. And so I want to just take care of myself, live for myself, but I would like to turn to God and ask him, what is he doing and why won't he bless me more and help me more? And God's like, I'm trying, but you won't give me the rib. Now, I'm not saying if you don't tithe, your life won't be awesome. you still got 99 more trees to enjoy. you still got life to live. You can make a bunch of money and never tithe. You can have a great life and maybe never tithe. There's plenty of rich people who never give God a dime. So I'm not saying you do it to get rich. I'm saying you just give it because it's His. It just belongs to him. I don't know why he set it up that way. I don't know why he wants it to be that way. You would think he would say, man, you guys live on earth. I got plenty. I'm God. Keep it all. But there's something about it that says, I want what belongs to me. I want the tree. I want the rib. I want the tithe. You, you look at it and tell me, you want to keep the tree? Look what happened. You want to keep the rib? Look what won't happen. You want to keep the tithe? I'll leave it to you to figure it out. The next verse, to show you how serious God is. I, I made a mistake. I put Genesis at the bottom. It should be Leviticus, so I apologize. It's Leviticus for if you're taking notes. Leviticus 27. One-tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain of the fields or the trees, where does it belong? Yeah, okay, we've established that, that God has his part. Now watch, this is interesting. And that has been set apart to him as holy. Let's, let's land here. I'll land the plane real quick. Think about this a minute. The tree that he made that we think was the devil's tree of knowledge of good and evil was God's, but it was set apart as holy. The rib that he took out of me was set apart to him as holy, which is why when a husband and wife get married in the Christian realm, it's called holy matrimony because there was something holy that happened. The wife is set apart to the man, is set apart to God. The, the two become one. It's a holy thing. So now when he talks about the tithe, he says, now the tithe is not just what the preacher gets or the church gets. The tithe is mine, and like the tree in the rib, it's holy. It belongs to me. And then he says this, if you want to, now here's how, here's how sweet God is. If you want to buy back my tenth, of the grain or fruit, you must pay its value plus 20%. That's pretty cool. That's like God is the great pawn shop guy of the heavenlies. You need to borrow some money? Sure. You need to borrow my tithe that belongs to me? Absolutely. I'm a good father. Take it. But remember, the part you're taking from me is holy. And as you're using it, when you bring it back, I need plus 20%. So if you take 10 from me and want to give it back, so we're square, bring me back 30. That's how good he is. The good thing about God is he doesn't send somebody to break your legs if you don't pay it back. <laughs> Jesus took the break for you. Jesus took the punishment for you. But it doesn't eliminate, it still belongs to God. So don't cop out on me and say, Jesus is there, nobody has to tithe anymore. You're copping out. The tithe was set up from the tree and the rib and the money to teach me about the nature of God that there's always that which is His and when you give Him what is only set apart as His, it proves the loyal love of your heart. It was set up that way. Why do you think that Judas Iscariot sold him out for money? Because the devil knows the power of it. Why do you think we argue so much over 10%? Because it shows the loyalty of the heart, which is weird. Why do you think the devil talked Eve out of the tree? Because it would show the loyalty of her heart. 
Why does the devil talk so many people out of giving 10% to God? Because it shows the loyalty of their heart that they trust God, they trust his system and not their own system. And then it says this, count off every tenth of animal and then just set them apart to the Lord is holy. Now my whole life I shared with you from my upbringing as a boy. I have tried as a man, a young man, a husband, and now a father and a grandfather. I have, I have always tithed. It doesn't mean that I never have a problem. It doesn't mean that things sometimes don't go my way. But what it does mean is that I'm smart enough to know that the system of God is there's just that which is His. And I'm going to give it to Him because I love Him and I don't want to take what's His. I want to give it to Him. And it's holy. My logical human mind doesn't really get it. But that's where I land on. I would rather use His wisdom versus mine because my wisdom says, why can't I eat this one tree? His wisdom says, don't do it. Why can't I keep the 10%? I guess you could, but his wisdom says give it. Why can't I just keep my rib and live life? Yeah, you could, but his wisdom asks for it. Why can't I just keep my 10 out of every 100 I make? You could, and you're not going to miss heaven because of it, but it's because he's asking for it, because it's his. It shows where your heart is. So I'd like you to bow your your heads a minute. I'm not going to do a pyramid scheme I've got no cards to hand out to you to make some commitment to me or the church. Because to me, it's not about me. But I tried to answer this in a way that was very fair. Maybe to talk about things that we all have questioned. To try to be honest about how here, you know, I'm not checking up on you to see if you tithe. I want it to be something that God speaks to you. Now, I do know we could say, well, I just give more. And and I'm okay with that. But understand, God is so specific, he's counting the 10%. Like he's just that detailed. So even if you give more, be very specific that, hey, here's what's holy of that that I'm going to give to God. If you're not tithing, I would just simply ask, maybe do what God said, test it. Test it. God, I'm going to get $10, I'm going to give you one. I'm just going to test it. It's yours, it's holy, it belongs to you. You've heard my dad's story. He proved on paper it would not work. But since 1963, he's never missed a tithe. And his life is, there's been no greater way to live. To this day, he won't even go out of town without leaving the tithe. That's his story at 84 years old. That what was illogical on paper, and his wisdom said this won't work. He grabbed a hold of the wisdom of God. He gave God the rib. He He gives God the tithe. So I just would ask you to pray about it. You're starting at the top of the year. It is a very skeptical truth. I tried to be fair with it. I tried to present it in a way that would make sense of why God would want it in His nature. Now, Father God, right now, we just pray. I ask you to let this word soak in our heart. And for those of us that would walk out of here today with faith to maybe take the test that you said to give you what's already yours. And we would not eat the tenth tree. We'd be content you own it. We would not hold on to the rib. But we would just say, okay, Lord, take it. And we would not keep the tithe hoping that it's somehow going to help me have a better life. We would just say, God, here's your part. And then we would believe that you would just show the vastness of your wealth toward us. The blessing of the Lord. Would you stand with me, if you will? Uh, Here's the way we like to end every, every week is there's a scripture in James that says to be a doer and not just a hearer. It's easy to hear a message and go, that was cool, or I got something out of it. But the real key is to become doers. So as we end, we have our baskets here for those that call this home. They bring their tithes and offerings. But we also, very meaningful to us, have communion to where we come. I call it this, may sound strange, I call it to seal the deal. In other words, what God has spoken to me today, I take communion and say, Lord, let me be accountable to it. So as you take communion today, I ask you to pray about that. Young people, if you're not tithing or you've never done it or you think you can't do it, I would just ask you to begin to pray and say, okay, if it's what's holy and belongs to God, let me take that step of faith. So Father, now we bless the communion, we bless the giving, we ask that you let the word of God Touch us as we come and partake today in Jesus' name.
precious name. Our elders are on both sides to pray with you. I'm up here as well. Eliana's going to lead us in some worship. Let's come, partake of communion. You may be dismissed. Have a great day. We love you. Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church podcast. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there's anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next week for a brand new message. 